Would you turn with me to John chapter 1? So we look at the second half of John 1, beginning in verse 19. We're going to read through this narrative passage all the way to the end of the chapter in just a minute, but I want to talk to you about something that I think is central to these opening verses and narrative of John's gospel, and that is, reminds me of this when I was parenting little children, something that was really important to my relationship with them is to look them in the eye and say, Grace, Paul, Elijah, at that time they were like four, three, one and a half, I mean real close together, follow me. When they got old enough to ride their little bikes, and they were really young when they did, and their helmets were bigger than their body almost, they would get on those little bikes, and they didn't need training wheels, and we'd drive through the city of Forest Lake where we lived in Minnesota, and I said, follow me, stay really close to me. Cars are going to come. We're on this path, but you follow me. And later, as we grew, as they got into their 12-year-old, 13-year-old, when we go to grandpa and grandma's, we'd go on the snowmobile in the winter, and I would say, you can drive, but you have to follow me. That means you don't choose your own course, you don't go off on a different path, you follow me, and they say, yes, dad. Jesus is going to call his disciples to follow him. In fact, Maybe one of the most essential and vital things for us to understand about what it means to be a Christian, to be a Christian means to be followers of Jesus Christ. We are now in an extended passage of Scripture where we find that John the Baptist, starting in verse 19, who we saw in the verses of the prologue, the beginning verses last week, John the Baptist is a man sent by God, verse 6 said, to bear witness of the light that all might believe through him. John the Baptist was not the light, but he was sent to bear witness of the light. Now, we're going to learn a little bit more about John the Baptist's ministry as he testifies of the, he is the forerunner and he testifies of the Messiah who's come. And we find him telling his disciples, look, look, look. And we see John's disciples leaving John and following Jesus. And we see these men, Andrew and Peter and Philip and Nathaniel, become followers of Jesus because they see Jesus as he really is. And these verses show us the heart of discipleship. The discipleship of these apostles. And these verses begin to teach you and me about what true discipleship looks like. It's the call to follow Jesus Christ. These verses are here and are meant for us to learn to follow Jesus Christ. I want to work through the four sections this morning real quickly, and then I want to just bring out some things about from these passages about following Jesus. Begin with, follow me with me. And I, I failed to mention this. I was going to mention this right at the beginning. When you came in, you should have got a bulletin. We planned on being outside. And in being outside, we weren't going to have a PowerPoint. And so we had these sheets and you have the lyrics for all the songs. But right on the first page, you actually have a QR code. And if you've been since the COVID season, you've seen these QR codes in, as menu, in menus In restaurants, if you took your phone, and if you're a phone person during the service, don't be a phone service to to get notifications and respond to people or play games. But if if you already are a a phone person and you follow with your phone on the, the Bible, if you clicked right on that QR code, you'll see songs, and then you scroll through the songs we already sang, you'll get to the scripture divided up in the sections that I'm going to share right now. So this is what we read in verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. Remember, he's the witness of the light. Now, this is what the witness's testimony is. When the Jews, the sent priests and Levites, the the religious elite from the religious capital, Jerusalem, out to the wilderness to ask John, they said, who are you? Verse 20. 
he confessed and did not deny, but he confessed, that's what witnesses do, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then, are you Elijah? And they're probably referring to Micah when it says, when the day comes, I will send Elijah. Remember, Elijah never died. I will send Elijah as a forerunner. He says, I'm not Elijah. Are you the prophet? Probably referring to Deuteronomy 18 where God told Moses, I will send a prophet and you, Israel, will listen to him. And and throughout Israel, they said, that might be the Messiah. Are you that prophet? And John the Baptist says, no. So verse 22, so they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, quote, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah says. And he quotes Isaiah 40, verse 3, where God was going to come himself and bring his glory and his might, and he was going to comfort the people, and he says, go and make the path straight. He says, I am that person making in preparation for the Messiah. Now, they had been sent... Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees, verse 25, and they asked him, why then are you baptizing? If you're neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet, you might go, where in the Bible was baptism? I don't see any baptism in the Old Testament. As I keep going here, I just, I want you to get this, that baptisms were taking place throughout Israel when somebody that was a non-Jew would say, I believe in Yahweh as God, and I want to worship him. And non-Jews would convert to being a Jew and to their faith in the God of Israel, and they would be baptized. They would be ceremonially cleaned in water. And usually, they didn't have somebody do it like a priest or somebody else. They would wash themselves as a ceremonial that they were clean, and they were putting their faith in Yahweh, Israel's God, and they're saying, so if you're, not, if you're not the Messiah, and you're not Elijah, and you're not the prophet, why are you going about baptizing? Why are you? We've, we've not seen something like that. And John says in verse 26, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you don't know. Now note that when we go further, you're going to say, I don't know. You didn't know. He who comes after me, because he knows Jesus was born after him, the strap of whose sandal I am not unworthy to, I am not worthy to untie. I'm unworthy to untie. He says, there is someone coming. You don't know who he is. You don't truly know who he is. He's coming. I'm, I'm not worthy to be... What a sl- the most menial slave wouldn't even want to do. I'm not even worthy to do that. He's that important and he's coming. And it is my, that person is going, I am baptizing with water, but he is going to do something much greater than me. And it says these things took place at Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Now I'm going to call that day one because something happens. That's day one. Because then we get into the next paragraph, look with me, the next verse, verse 29, the next day. So let's call that day two. Let's move to day two. Day one, John's questioned by the Jewish elite. Why are you baptizing? Are you the Messiah? And he goes, no, I'm not. But, I, but I am, I'm a forerunner for him and There's somebody greater. You couldn't believe it. I am not even close to being standing in his presence when it comes down to honor. So day two, more of John. The next day, he, that's John, John the baptizer, he saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, behold, that means look, behold, the Lamb of God 
who takes away the sin of the world. This is he who, whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me. All this, I'm not worthy to untie his shoe, his sandal. This is the one who I said comes after me. Before, because he actually was before me. Remember at the beginning of John's gospel? He was in the beginning. He was in the beginning with God. He was God. All things were made by him. John says, I myself did not know him. Now, if you don't know what's going on here, first of all, does that mean John doesn't, never met Jesus by this point in their adult life? Most likely not because they were cousins in a smaller community. He doesn't mean I don't know him personally in a relationship. He meant I didn't know truly and have it revealed to me yet who he really, the significance of who this was. This is the son of God. This is the light coming into the world. And now I'm knowing this. And he's going to tell us the moment when he knew it. He says, John bore witness. He says, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose, I came baptizing with water. Now, why do you want to know why I came baptizing with water? Let's see this. That he, Jesus, the light, the Messiah, might be revealed to Israel. John is baptizing. Luke tells us that John is baptizing. He went from place to place by the river Jordan, and he was preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God, preparing for that Messiah. And now he's saying, I'm baptizing so I can reveal that Messiah has come. And John bore witness, verse 32. He says this, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself didn't know him, but he who sent me, John knows he was sent by God, he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he had a vision or revelation from God, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Day two, more testimony from John. John sees, that, sees Jesus and he says, look, open your eyes. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I saw the Spirit descend and it came on him and remained on him. And I was told that when I see that, that was the Son of God. That was the one who was before me, even though, even though I was born before him, humanly speaking. And he says, I came baptized so that you would know and believe him. And I would point constantly to him. Now let's move to day three. Look at verse 35. The next day, Jesus, I'm sorry, the next day again, John, that's again John the baptizer, not John the author of this book, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as Jesus walked by, and again he said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard John, heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following him, saw them following him and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and they saw. Now, as we go, I just, I hope you just see saw, see, behold, these seeing words. So when they saw where he was staying, they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour, it was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Verse 40, one of the two who heard John the Baptist speak 
and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah. And that word means Christ. It means the anointed one. Verse 42, he brought him, he brought Simon to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, so you are Simon, the son of John? You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter or rock. So we find in day three, John's disciples become Jesus' disciples. And then we hear the testimony, not of John the Baptist as much, though we hear it right at the beginning, behold, the Lamb of God, we find the testimony of Andrew going and finding his brother and saying, you got to see, he is actually the real thing. He is the Messiah. And Jesus comes to Peter, and what an introduction. First conversation, I'm going to rename you. Who does that? I mean, if I just introduced myself to a visitor this morning, I'm going to give you a nickname. I'd be a little presumptuous. But it isn't for Jesus. Last day, day four. Notice each of these new paragraphs are marked with the next day. Verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. He's in Galilee. He finds Philip there. We find that next phrase. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Oh, Andrew and Peter are now followers of Jesus. They must have told Jesus about Philip. You need to meet Philip. And so Jesus finds Philip. And Philip follows Jesus after Jesus says, follow me. Verse 45, Philip found Nathanael. A lot of finding here going on. And he said to him, we have found him whom the Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. The son of Joseph. He, he gives him his human credentials. He is Jesus of Nazareth. The son of Joseph. And we know that's his stepfather. And Nathaniel said to him, pretty bluntly, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, it'd be like those in the lower Michigan. They might like the Upper Peninsula. They might say, can anything come good from the Upper Peninsula of Michigan? Because this was, this was the class of, that's rural area. That's where the hicks are. And those in the north and UP would go, can anything good come from south, southern Michigan? But in this case, Nathaniel honestly just says, he probably is thinking theologically and spiritually, can anything really come from this little small town? And much less the one the law and the prophets spoke of. And Philip says to him the same thing that Jesus had said to the other disciples. Come and see. See for yourself. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and he said to Nathanael, Remember, this is Jesus who says to Peter, I'm going to rename you. Behold, first words to Nathanael, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. You say what you see or believe. And in fact, I think he means there's no guile in him. Jesus knew and knows the hearts of all people. And he knew that Nathanael was sincerely seeking God. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, 
When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. We don't know what he means by this. It could mean that... It could mean that as they were walking, he saw him, but most likely it really means that either when he was a child and there's a figurative idea under the fig tree with his parents, he saw him because remember, all things are made by Jesus and nothing is made without Jesus. He was in the beginning, all are sustained by him, or it could mean that the fig tree in Israel was often a place symbolically or literally where Israelites would go to meditate on Scripture. So if Nathaniel is meditating on Scripture and praying to the God of Israel, he's praying to Jesus, even if he didn't know it was Jesus. All we know is Jesus says, I knew you when you were under the fig tree, and I saw you. And that was enough for Nathaniel to reply, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, you, do you believe? You'll see greater things than these. And oh, he will. He'll see the blind seeing. He'll see the lame walking. He'll see men and women raised from the dead, sick, healed in miraculous form. He will hear He will experience things that Nathaniel never imagined. He says, I truly, I truly, I say to you, you'll see greater things. He says, I truly, I say to you, verse 51, you will see heaven opened and the angel of God, angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. We're we're not going to spend time on that verse. All I just want to say is, if you're studying and you're hearing this as an Israelite that understands the Old New Testament, they would go, oh, that's used in Genesis chapter 28 when Jacob was wandering and running and he fell asleep and he slept and he had a vision and there was a ladder, Jacob's ladder, and angels were ascending and descending. And I, I think Jesus is saying, I, and, and there God was teaching Jacob that in my covenant and with you, Heaven and earth are meeting. Jesus is saying in me, you're going to see heaven and earth meet in a a way like never before in the Son of Man. Now, that's day four. Now, there's a lot we could go through. We could take each paragraph and have a sermon on that. I want to pull out things in regards to us regarding, we, we are a church of Jesus Christ. We are a Church that's called by Jesus to follow him. And in these verses, we see a focus on following Jesus. Verse 43, Jesus found Philip and he just said to him two words, follow me. This is a phrase Jesus often used. It's a concept that means something very specific. And Jesus used it often, so much so that Jesus Though we find the words in this gospel that Jesus said the first words to Peter were, I'm going to rename you. you are, you're going to, have to be called Cephas. We find in Matthew's gospel, chapter 4, and I think they, they fit together. They both told different sides of maybe some of the meeting. Jesus met Simon Peter and he says, follow me. You remember that? And I will, you are a fisher of man. I'm an, you're a fisher of fish. I'm going to make you a fisher of man. And we find in this gospel, gospel of John chapter 21, the very end, right at the end of the story, and Jesus is going to ascend back into heaven. He's already risen from the dead. He's going to say, Peter, you follow me. Jesus called his followers to repent of their sins, like in Matthew 4, 17, to believe like in Mark 5, 36, to have faith, and we're going to see believing and have faith constantly in the gospel of John. He called his followers, he called people to love the Lord God and to love their neighbor as their self, like in Matthew 22 or John 15. However, these and all the other callings that Jesus issued 
are contained in the simple words, follow me. Follow me away from sin and repentance. Follow me into holiness. Follow me into believing all that the Father has said and did and that I am in Him, that I am the hope of the world. Follow me in trusting all that I say. Follow me in loving not the world. Follow me in loving people in the world and calling them. Follow me whatever, wherever I lead and whatever it costs you. And from this passage, I, I want to give you, from verses 19 through 51, I, I want to give you three, three simple points. What I see it means to follow Jesus from these passages, or three implications, or three connected points. Number one, following Jesus means surrendering to self to serve a new king. If, if you're a Christian... You're a follower of Jesus Christ. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a disciple. And what does it mean to follow Jesus? Christianity fundamentally is surrendering to self to serve a new king. They came to John the Baptist and said, Are you the Messiah, the Christ that we've all been looking for? John was not like this. I'm not surprised you'd ask. But no. He's like, no way. N not even close. I'm not Jesus. John the Baptist had a heart like a true follower of Jesus must have, and that is a surrender to self. There was a self-deflection. No, I am not the Messiah. I am not the Christ. It might have... In, in our ego, and our flesh, it might have been good. They're mistaking me for the Messiah, maybe. They're questioning if I'm the prophet Elijah. They're asking if I am the prophet from Moses' records. No, I guess not, but I could see why. No. Immediately, his heart says, no, I am about something else. I have been called, and it's not about me. To be a follower of Jesus is not to be about ourselves. It's to be about something else. It is to surrender to self. We were going to find this in a few sermons later in John chapter 3 when John says after he's explaining to his disciples, yes, they're, they're leaving me. They're, all the disciples are leaving, all of my disciples, John's saying, they're leaving me and they're going to Jesus and that's okay because when you see him, your joy is full. I am just a, a messenger of the bridegroom. And I just care that the bridegroom is here now. He must increase and I must decrease. And that, become, that, is, that is at the heart, the growing heart of a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, far too often when, let me say this. You and I are hardwired, and so is John in the flesh, hardwired because of our sin in the fall to serve ourselves and not to surrender to ourselves. We are hardwired to live for our own kingdom and not for King Jesus. In fact, far too often, we view Christianity and being at church and doing any of the things like that and being a good Christian, we view it as a sense in which I want to invite Jesus into my kingdom so that he can fix my kingdom, make my marriage and my finances and my life and whatever else better so that things will go well. Jesus, will you come in? I'm inviting you into my, my kingdom. And that's not Christianity. And that's not what the call to being a Christian is. It is a call to surrender to self and say, what I once thought was a kingdom was slavery to sin and selfishness and was destroying me. And I have been rescued from the domain of darkness. And I have been brought into the kingdom of my, his dear son. And I run to him. And I die to myself. 
following Jesus means something different, far different than saying, Jesus, come, make my life better. It means, Jesus, I am dying to self. I surrender. I repent of all my sins and all of my ambitions and all my agendas. You are the king, and that's all that matters. That's, that's what following Jesus means. In Luke 9, Jesus said, in verse 23, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What, what does it mean, friends? What does it mean for 2022 American Christians who are followers of Jesus Christ to take these words and apply them to our lives, it means that you and I are called to deny ourselves and to take up our crosses if we are going to follow him. What will that look like? At the very least, it means my life no longer is about me. I'm not the point. Neither are you. Your happiness is not the primary important thing, even though God is so gracious that in his presence is fullness of joy, but you are not meant to pursue that. You are meant to pursue that kingdom and to deny yourself. Christ is your life. Do you remember what he said to the rich, rich young man? What can I, when the man said, what good works can I do to inherit eternal life? And he said, have you kept the law? Yes, I have perfectly. And he says, so then go and sell all that you have, give to the poor, and follow me. John, Jesus knew, you, you, you weren't at a heart, he didn't say that to be a Christian, you got to basically give, live a life of poverty. He was saying, I know you, you haven't surrendered. I know you, you are living for yourself and you want me with you. You just want me to make sure it's all good and perfect. You need, you need to die to yourself. Following Jesus is what it means to be a Christian. Following Jesus is what we do when we come to Jesus to be saved. It is also the description of a truly saved life that consequently follows Jesus wherever Jesus leads us and whatever it costs. And we learn what he, where he leads us through his word. Now, the first aspect of our starting point, the following Jesus, is following him to the cross. And friends, would you listen to, to this, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian? This means to follow Jesus first and foremost, it is to truly recognize that there is a God who is infinitely glorious and that this God created you and me for his glory and that we have sinned and we have fallen short of God's glory and we do it every moment of our lives when we're not praising him and living for him and that the wages of the sin is death and yet that Jesus died on the cross to pay the wages of our sin and for the sin of all who would repent, believe, and love him meaning those who would place their trust in him. Whoever believe in him will not perish. It means surrendering our lives to Jesus by grace through faith. This is following Jesus. And then for the rest of the li our lives, we don't stop following Jesus. As church members, this is a church full of Jesus followers helping one another follow Jesus until the day we die, until he leads us directly and clearly in person. Surrendering our lives is not a work that we earn salvation. We don't serve him so that Jesus will accept us and then save us. We serve and deny ourselves because we've come to know that he is the true light. We serve with a new power and a purpose because there isn't anything greater than following the true Savior and Lord do you see this, happen, see this happening in this passage? John is called by God and says, you're all about pointing to Jesus. That's what you're going to do until you die. And Andrew, Philip, Peter, Nathaniel, they have their lives completely redirected. 
We read these in the other Gospels. They were fishermen. They're no longer fishermen. They're followers of Jesus. There were, there were tax collectors like Peter, and they were no longer tax collectors. They were followers of Jesus. Jesus redirected their lives, and they said, now I live to serve him. I serve a new king. It was me, and it no longer is me. And I just want to ask you, where are you with this? Friends, each of us, who's your master practically? You might say, well, theoretically, I was baptized. I said Jesus is my Lord. Is that really true? Following Jesus means you serve him in your parenting in your marriage and in your grandparenting, in your spending, in your singleness, in your widowhood, in your divorce, in your old age, in your teenage years, in your elementary years, it, following Jesus means Jesus is our master. It means he's in control of my life. As the, the saying goes, there's two choices on the shelf, serving God or serving self. And I wonder how we're serving Where's our hearts? Where are our time, our money, energy, habits, attitudes? Following Jesus means that we're not perfect in these, but it means we have come to a place where we have said what needs to be, what has redirected me is I die to self and I am now serving someone else and that changes everything. It impacts how I take risks. It takes, impacts everything. The second thing I want you to see about following Jesus, not only is it about self-surrender and following, do you, do you see this theme throughout these verses? And I think, I think the gospel wants us to see this. I think John, who wrote this, compiled it in this way. Following Jesus means inviting others to see and serve the king as well. It means inviting others You see that this in the passage, those who believed had to share Jesus with others. John the Baptist believed that Jesus, when he saw Jesus come out of the water and the Spirit of God came on him and remained on him, that's the Messiah. I now exist and I got to tell others I need to bear witness. He's the one. That's why he exists for the rest of his life. We find this with Andrew. Andrew first found his brother Simon. And he says to Simon, Simon, we found the Messiah. You need to come. And he brings him to Jesus. And Peter believes. Simon believes. And Andrew and Peter presumably said, we need to go to Galilee. And you need to go to Philip. And they came to Philip. And Philip believes. And what does Philip do? Philip goes. And he says, Jesus, we need to go to Nathanael. And Nathaniel believes, and so on. I love what D.A. Carson says. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother and announce, we have found the Messiah. He thus became the first in a long line of successors who have discovered that the most common and effective Christian testimony is the private witness of a friend to a friend, brother to a brother. You see, that is what we are called to. The foundational principle of true Christian expansion ever since is this. New followers of Jesus, they bear witness to other people who in turn become disciples and they repeat the process. I want to ask you, how many of you became a Christian because someone told you about Jesus? How many of you were told about Jesus not from your parents? Raise your hand. I mean, hands are all over the place. You are saved because someone bore witness of Jesus Christ. Oh, may God the Father help this church, help you and me to be real disciples of Jesus because real disciples of Jesus, they believe and then they have to tell others. They need to invite others. Oh, that God would enliven us with an evangelistic zeal at Faith Church. That by God's spirit, not just by our, me revving you up one Sunday, inspiring you to do this because it's in the text, but oh, by the spirit of God, we would be followers of Jesus 
that our hearts would be stirred to the lost, seeing them as perishing and without any hope, and they will die and go to hell. And if that's where you are and you have not yet followed Jesus, you are under the condemnation of God and you will perish. You are under, an, your sins are over you and you will have no, no salvation unless... You repent and believe in the Son. Oh, that God would give us eyes to see that Jesus is gloriously real, so much so that he is the only hope and that he is the Savior, and he's a Savior to the absolute uttermost. He loves to, there is no unlikely converts because he can save anyone. And so may we as a church be a people who would invite and would welcome and we would surrender ourselves and we would love and we would serve and share and and preach and give and persuade and pray people into the kingdom of our dear son. And though it's not actually us, because we know we could never do that, it is God the Holy Spirit and the glory of the gospel working through little people like us doing what happened in this chapter. Come and see. Behold, the Lamb of God, come and see. You see, do you, do you bear witness of Jesus to others? Oh, that we would be an inviting people. Do you share your testimony? Do those at work know that you have a testimony? Do you have a testimony? Do you have something to bear witness to? Would non-Christians in your life know that you serve another king? Do they know that you care about their soul and that you long for them to know the only light and life that's in the world? That leads us to the third thing because it's the foundation of the first two. I could speak to you with motivation and I could speak to you with zeal and gusto and say, you need to deny yourself or you'll go to hell. You need to follow Jesus or you'll go to hell. You need to invite people or you go to hell, which are not true. That's not what sends you to hell. It's your sin. All those things are a mark of being a follower of Jesus, of repenting and just believing in him. And that leads to this last point. Following Jesus requires that we see the king rightly and believe. You see, the power behind John's witness and why he could go to death with his head being beheaded, and how these disciples will leave everything and follow Jesus and say, that's the Messiah. It's because they saw him. They saw him. My last point focuses on last Sunday's message, seeing and savoring Jesus Christ. You see, the type of self-denial and self-surrender, the type of serving Jesus the type of sharing Jesus, the type that is truly Christian discipleship and truly following Jesus is the type or kind that is a result of having seen Jesus and now having seen him and delighted in him and found that he and no one else is the one that can't help but share Jesus. You see, Jesus is like the treasure in the field of Matthew 13, 44, that when a man found and saw and covered up in joy, he sold everything to buy that field. These disciples saw Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. These disciples saw two things. They they saw spiritually And they saw with a God-given sight. And I want you to see that. The type of sight you and I have, if we're Christians, that will give us the fuel to follow him like we need and serve him like we need and share him like we need is we need to see him as we need. And that's a sight given by God. And it's a spiritual sight. It's given by God. Jesus revealed to John through the Spirit descending on Jesus. And Andrew must have had Jesus revealed to him by God because of his confession, Peter, he is the Messiah. And Peter had a stranger say, I'm going to give you a new name. And the Spirit of God was working on Peter, and Peter said, 
I got to follow him. He's the real thing. And the, together, they go to Philip and they say, he's the Messiah. And they go to Nathaniel and say, this is the one, the Moses and the law was talking about. They knew because they had this sight given to them. And as we go through the Gospel of John, we're going to see this, that Jesus says to even Nicodemus, one of the great religious leaders of his time, this Pharisee, he's going to say, Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he can't even see the kingdom of God. In fact, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given him from heaven. That's real sobering. The only way you will follow Jesus is that you see Jesus and you won't see Jesus unless he shows himself to you. Now, the reason why he tells us this is not for us to go, well, that's good, I can't see him and he's got to do it, so what do I do in the meantime? You hear his word and he is showing himself to you. It's May he be doing, I pray that he's doing that right now. He would, he would, your heart would burn towards Jesus, delighting in Jesus. And if so, that's him showing you. When you see and start to understand that Jesus isn't just Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph, but he is the son of God, that he is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is giving you spiritual sight spiritual sight. It's possible for a blind man who has never seen a thing in this world to see in this way when people who have 20-20 vision never see. There are blind people who see and their hearts leap for joy and they will enjoy eternal life and people that can do amazing surgeries and fly planes and have perfect vision, do not see. And it's the spiritual sight. Jesus is seen at a deeper level. We could, we could, I just, John said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. For us to follow Jesus and deny ourselves, to follow Jesus and serve him, with all our heart, with joy. For us to invite him to our neighbor and our friends with energy and not fear that we might be mocked or viewed as intolerant or one of those religious kooks because we see that Jesus is the only way. He, he, will, all, he will be all that matters. We see that with spiritual sight. And to see Jesus this way is to see that Jesus is a person of surpassing worth. He's better than all of the things that I once thought was the best. He is better than all my possessions. He's better than all my family relations. He's better than all comforts. He's better than all the securities that I thought I could, I could put around me. Jesus is the bread of life. He is the Lamb of God. He was slain. And he is the victorious Lamb of Revelation now. Oh, the challenge of the gospel is to come and see. Friends, when we, never we never stop needing to come and see. If you are saved, it's because you came and you saw and you believed. And the sight that God gave you was spiritual sight. And that response of faith was, uh, I'm not perfect here, but I now see. And I am more, I'm as satisfied in Jesus not the things of this world. Disciples must know who Jesus is, and they have a personal experience with him with that sight, and it reorients everything about their lives. Friends, maybe you've been coming time after time. Have you seen him? It is our prayer that you will see him in this series in the Gospel of John. Week after week, God is bringing before you this divine revelation and saying, look, behold, the Lamb of God. And right in just a minute, we are going to come before the table, and I'm going to tell you, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Faith Church, we are the gathered, we are the gathered disciples of Jesus. We follow him. This is who we are and what we do. 
we surrender ourselves to his kingship. And we're going to take this meal now, this supper, the Lord's Supper, where Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood. And on that day when John the Baptist stood up and he was with his disciples, he looked and he saw Jesus and he said, I, I don't know what he fully meant. That is the Lamb of God who takes the wins of the world. He might have thought what a lot of Jews had thought, that the Messiah was going to be a lamb, like the book of Revelation describes the Jesus, or the, the lamb, who will come and bring conquering victory. Or his mind may, may have had the sense to go, man, I know the book of Isaiah. And in Isaiah, it says that all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He, him, who's him? Well, the next phrase says, he was like a lamb that was led to the slaughter. The lamb of God. He was like a sheep that would before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. I'd ask you to bow your head and close your eyes, and I'm going to pray. God, I, I pray that as you prepare us to go to communion, Oh, that you would be opening our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law and in your son, Jesus. I pray that we would see Christ in communion today. See him with spiritual eyes. We would believe and we would have faith. I pray that we would love each other more. We would delight in each other more. God, I pray if there is, I, I believe there are some here who have not yet seen, but maybe they see today. I pray that their hearts would well up with joy and faith in you, and they would call on you, and you would save them. And if you're here today, and if you've never called on the name of the Lord, you can do that today by just asking him to forgive you of your sins, and he will. Ask him to be your savior, and he will. Surrender him to surrender yourself to be, let him be your king, and he will. If you want to, it's because he put that want in you. Pray these things, God, in Jesus' name, amen.